Well, hey, good morning, Venture. It's great to see you today. Some of you are here in the room with us. You braved the weather to get out here. Some of you are joining us online. It's probably a little cozier in your living room. I'm so glad that you're with us as well. Hey, welcome to week five of this Family Matters series. We're talking about matters of the family because families do, in fact, matter so much. So, I got a text this past week. It was actually a texting string. Our elder team has kind of a constant string going, especially during the pandemic era. We had some great communications going on all year, including this text that I got this past week from one of our elder team. He said, hey, has anybody else been disappointed that we're doing a series called Family Matters? And there hasn't been a single Steve Urkel reference Very misleading. And, of course, we all laughed and joked about that. So I think obligatory, I'm supposed to right now hike up my pants to my armpits, and I'm supposed to say something goofy like, did I do that? I'm not going to do that. If you're 30 or under, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but that's okay because if you're 30 or under, I bet your mom knows who I'm talking about. And since it's Mother's Day, perhaps you want to grab a YouTube clip and curl up with your mom this afternoon, give that as an excuse for her to tell you about her childhood and family matters, Steve Urkel. This week, we're going to talk about the idea that mothers matter because they do. In huge ways, moms, in huge ways, motherhood matters. By the way, if you're a guest today and maybe you've not done this yet, uh, come a little early or stay a little late uh, to service over the next few weeks. Bring a mug with you and put it out here on our mug wall. Uh, It's a great opportunity just to get to know one another. If you are uh, the owner of this mug that says, everyone's welcome, I would love it if you'd find me after the service is done. Tell me about this mug. Tell me why you chose this one for our church. I kind of like that one. Everyone uh, is welcome. And um, I agree with that sentiment. So moms in my life, oh my goodness, I was blessed with a birth mom that uh, meant and still means the world to me. I've talked about this before up here from the platform. Perhaps you know or remember that my mom passed away uh, when I was in high school. But oh my goodness, did my mom launch me into my faith journey in some big ways. I am forever grateful to her. And can we just take a moment and can we recognize that days like this, Sometimes these are tough for folks who have experienced loss, especially if that loss is recent. Uh, Mother's Day is hard sometimes for some folks. My dad remarried several years uh, after that, uh, and my stepmom, her name is Yolanda, I love this lady. She's a mother figure in my life. She loves Jesus, and uh, I so appreciate her and her role in my life. I got married Uh, Several years before I met my stepmother, though, and, um, uh, you know, my mother-in-law, her name is Joy, uh, she prefers to be called mother-in-love, and I agree with that statement, that sentiment. I do love her. She's a godly woman. I'm so blessed that she's in my life. Five years after we got married, Dawn became a mother. Our son, Micah, made her a mother. At the same time, he made me a father. It's funny how those kind of things work. And um, I'm so grateful to my wife, Dawn. She's an incredible mother. Some of you know her in that capacity. You've seen her at work there. We fostered a bunch of kids. We adopted a bunch of kids. Uh, All through those stages, I've seen her. God used her in amazing ways to shine in her 
and through her. I've had incredible aunts in my life. I had two grandmothers, both who loved Jesus and were role models. I had a whole, well, countless school teachers. I had Sunday school teachers. I had youth group sponsors, godly women who have stepped into key spaces in my life as moms. Listen, women have shaped my life in profound ways. I bet that's the same for you as well. I'm doing something I'm doing something that I've never really done before. I'm preaching a Mother's Day sermon today. I mean, I've preached sermons on Mother's Day before, but I've never really tackled the topic of motherhood in a sermon like this before. So I went down on a trip down memory lane this past week. I found what probably is the only surviving Mother's Day gift from my childhood that I gave my mom, if you come in tight on that with the video camera, perhaps. They told me this morning in the run-through that if you kind of squint your eyes and go cross-eyed, it looks like an alien face, and maybe it does from your distance. I did this in second grade, and so the artwork is all mine. It says, Happy Mother's Day, 1982. This is a self-portrait. Vincent Van Gogh has nothing on me. Uh, quite the young artist there. I signed it, Stanley, down here. This is second grade. A couple things that jump out of this uh, at me today as a 46-year-old man looking backwards at this. A couple things. First of all, it's all smudgy, right? And I remember doing this in the second grade classroom, and it really bothered me that I got smudges on the thing that they sent in and made a plate out of. So moms, as you get those just can I say just kind of goofy presence from your kids? Remember, as you're looking at those today, there's heart that goes into that. I wanted to do the perfect gift for my mom, and that was bothering me that I'd messed it up. The other thing, as a 46-year-old, I look at that, and I, I don't know if you can tell or not, the apostrophe here I put above the S. This is because as a second grader, as a 46-year-old, I know exactly what I was doing in that moment. I was hedging my bets. I didn't know if the apostrophe was supposed to be in front of the S or behind the S, and so I split the difference right over the top, and I thought, she'll never notice. That's exactly what that's all about. Second grade right there. Okay, so uh, I want to have a little bit of fun with quotes before we dive into the deep content here. So I want to invite you, maybe you're with a mom, uh, perhaps it's your mom, perhaps it's a spouse, and I'm going to put up a quote, I'm going to invite you to applaud as I read it or after I read it, if this reminds you of your mother, maybe, or a mom in your life. The first one's a little bit tricky, so measure your applaud Applause wisely. Don't say I didn't warn you. Here's the first one. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the wor world. Does anybody want to applaud to that one? Does that remind you of a mom in your life? A couple. Yeah. So uh, that one's gotten a bad rep over the years. There was a, a, a horror film in 1992 by that title. It kind of misshaped the way we view that statement. And we kind of tend to think, well, maybe that's kind of a control freak kind of a thing. But if you've ever read the original poem that that comes out of, it's kind of a sweet sentiment. Let's look at another one. Maybe you want to applaud at this. A mother is your first friend, your best friend, your forever friend. Anybody want to applaud to that one? Yeah, that's a good one. How, how about this one? When you are looking at your mother, you're looking at the purest love you will ever know. Anybody want to applaud to that one? Yeah, I agree. All right, how about this one? When, uh, mother is the heartbeat in the home, and without her, there seems to be no heart throb. 
And we're not talking about the Fabio on the cover of those romance novels right there. And that's not the heartthrob we're talking about here. Okay, what's the next one? Mothers are like glue. Even when you can't see them, they're still holding the family together. Like that one? Yeah? My friend Ben Rowland, when I was a kid, I told you my mom passed away my senior year of high school. This, this is a guy who stood up with me, was my best man in my wedding, childhood friend. The day my mom died, Ben showed up at my house and he tossed me my motorcycle helmet. He didn't say a word other than, you wanna just take a ride? And we went out and we rode our motorcycles together and we grieved together. He had spent a lot of time in my home over the years, and I spent a lot of time in his home. And he had often described, there was kind of a joke, an inside joke in their family describing his mom. The Bible says that men are supposed to be the head of the household. They kind of joked about that. And he said, listen, if dad is the head, mom is the neck. She holds up the head, and if the neck flexes, the head is inclined to move. I think that's a pretty good quote. I appreciate my buddy Ben for that. How about this one? You want to applaud to this one? The influence of a mother in the lives of her children is beyond calculation. Applaud to that? Absolutely. How about this one? Youth fades, love droops, the leaves of friendship fall, a mother's secret hope outlives them all. Yeah? Mom's dream, they plan for their kids. My mother was the role model before I even knew what that word was. Yeah? I like that one. How about this one? To describe my mother would be to write about a hurricane in its perfect power. I like that. You're hesitant to applaud for that one. But Maya Angelou, yeah, moms have a force in our lives. How about this one? My mother, she is beautiful, softened at the edges and tempered with a spine of steel. I want to grow old and be like her. How about that? Yeah? Applaud strong moms. How about this one? From, the so from uh, Solomon himself in Proverbs. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she's earned and let her works bring her praise in the city gate. Anybody applaud to that one? Mothers matter. Mothering matters. Moms, I want to challenge you today. If I can challenge you with one thing, it's this. Leave a legacy. You ever dream about your legacy? about what you're going to leave behind you even after you're gone. I want to spend a little bit of time today simply dreaming about that. Listen, I've heard from many moms over the years that tell me that this day is tough. Perhaps you noticed the white rose up here on the platform. That's there really as a symbolic gesture to let you know that we're with you. Some of you have lost a child, maybe through miscarriage or death. We lost one to the foster care system, a failed adoption years ago. Some of you have a scar. Perhaps it's a wound. Maybe there's some abortion stories in your past. This white rose um, is there to represent that. Every mother has regrets. Perhaps for you, Mother's Day is some kind of an annual personal evaluation where you stop and you think about the ways that you've failed. Perhaps it becomes an inventory of specific areas in your life where you haven't lived up to all of the hype. Listen. I know a lot of women feel tension even between your kids and your calling. Maybe those are not the exact same thing in your life. I heard a sermon years ago by a gal named Nancy Beach, who was an incredible leader at a big old church in the Chicago land area, area. and she preached a sermon, I think it was on Mother's Day, and she titled the, the, the sermon, The Jekyll and Hyde of Motherhood. 
It's hard to find this sermon. I was hoping I could find it and share a link with you. Maybe you can find it and share it with me. The key text that she used through that sermon was Romans chapter 7, verse 15, which says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate... I do. And then she just talked about the tension that she felt in her life between some of those passions and dreams that she felt like God had given her and her calling as a mama. This is a quote that I found and I appreciated from that sermon. A transformation occurred in me with the birth of my children. I traded in that professional look for sweatpants. I found myself at the park with my children looking at working women and thinking, I'd like to be doing that. And then she said this, motherhood is a dichotomy. A struggle between two opposing forces. But the transformation went deeper than trading my business suit for a pair of sweatpants. There was something else going on when I had children. I knew my life had been invaded by God in a way in which I would never be the same. With the birth of each of my children, there emerged from within me this person I had never met, a person whom I liked very much, this loving, caring, nurturing woman, and I watched her amazed. I want to read to you a poem that my wife found, and I like this. Perhaps those thoughts are swirling in your head. I don't know where you're at on this Mother's Day day, but I bet there's something in here that hits you. Listen to this. It's called A Mother's Day Poem to Share. It's written by a gal named Amy Young, and it says this, To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. For those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. For those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and overall testing of motherhood, we're better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those whose step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be we grieve with you. To those who have empty your nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expecting and surprising, we anticipate with you. And to those this Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. Would you join me in doing that right now as we simply pray a prayer of blessing over our moms? Would you bow with me? Father, we bow our heads and we, we close our eyes and we just say thank you. We appreciate 
And for the mamas in the room, Lord, I pray that there's something from your word that we unpack and we open up right now, Lord, that gives us courage, gives us boldness, gives us encouragement, challenges us to make the, take the next step that you've called us into. And it's your name in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mothering matters because here's the thing. If you're a mom, you are leaving a legacy. It's a matter of what kind of a legacy you want to leave. I want to encourage you right now to aim at five specific spaces in your kid's life to leave a legacy. Here's the first one. First of all, if you're taking notes and you might want to write these down, again, there's five of them. Leave a legacy of memories. Let's go back to the plate. I want to anchor each of these five actually here in the plate. I don't know if you can tell this by looking at it or not. you got to zoom in probably real close, but I drew roots. So this is kind of like one of those things where you're seeing through the ground. I don't know what was going on inside my second grade mind, but maybe it was a subconscious thing. You can see the roots. Roots growing down deep into the ground on that that I drew. And that reminded me that the legacy that we're called to live, the foundation of this oftentimes is the memories that we make together inside the bond of the family union. Listen, we talked about this last week, envisioning your family tree, to think ahead and then live your life planning for those moments. Hey, don't miss next week, Jimmy Scott uh, is going to be preaching on the value of planning for generations, so don't miss that message last week. The Bible builds on this word picture of roots. Our Catholic brothers and sisters have a respect for Mary. This is Jesus' mother. That our evan uh, evangelical traditions don't really, well, we kind of shy away from that sometimes. Years ago, my barber, his name, I called him Fred the Barber. He was a devout Catholic man. And we had some theological conversations every time I'd go get a haircut in his barbershop. Oftentimes, the barbershop would empty out, and it was just the two of us, and he'd have me there in the chair. I was a captive audience, and oh my goodness, would we have some conversations. One time, he, he, he looked at me kind of through the mirror as I was looking at him, and he said, why are you guys, you evangelicals, why are you so afraid of Mary? Don't you think that Jesus' mother might be able to teach you something? And I've thought about that over the years. I think he might be right. There's a, a couple of passages in the Bible where Jesus, um, well, Jesus is building memories with his mother. And his mother, well, she's building a foundation, a legacy, and there are some memories that are important to her. After the whole birth narrative in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, this is what it says, but Mary treasured, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What are these things? Well, I would submit to you that these, these are memories. And by the way, these are good memories. These are also bad memories. Mary found out that she was going to be a mama. She was a, uh, an unwed mother, right? She was not married yet when she learned that she was going to be pregnant. Good memory or a bad memory? She almost lost out on the man of her dreams in that moment because that freaked Joseph out. He almost ran away. God had to talk him into staying. Is that a good memory or a bad memory? She pondered all these things in her heart. How about the traveling 65 miles or so pregnant on the back of a donkey? Good memory from Nazareth to Jerusalem. Is that a good memory or a bad one? 
How about giving birth, this is the good part, to the Savior of the world. But here's the bad part, in the same stable that the livestock gave birth in because there was no room in the inn. Good memory or bad memory? She's pondering these up. How about escaping a mad tyrant? This is Herod the Great for two years as an immigrant living in a foreign land in Egypt. Do you think that was a good memory or a bad memory? I don't know, but she pondered all of those things in her heart. How about 12 years later, we pick up the story. Jesus has wandered away as a 12-year-old boy. They tend to do this. Maybe you've lost a child before. This time it's in Jerusalem, busy, crowded streets. He's gone. They find him teaching on the southern temple steps. I've sat there and I've thought about this moment before. Luke chapter 2, verse 48 says this. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Have your mom's ever said something like that to you? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. We were worried. Why were you searching for me? He's honestly asking. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? My heavenly father? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth, literally literally downhill with them, and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all of these things in her heart. These are memories. A foundational of a legacy gets built on memories. Notice, treasuring and pondering. Let me challenge you, moms. Treasure your memories so that you can ponder them later. What will your kids remember when you're old and gray? We call this the rocking chair test. One of these days when you're sitting on a porch somewhere and you're rocking and you're thinking about grandkids and, oh, I hope for you great-grandkids even, what memories do you look back on that you celebrate and you think to yourself, you know what, I wouldn't change a thing. There's a photo in our family that every once in a while gets circulated. It's a picture of one of our cute little kids. They were tiny at the time, toddler. Don had been painting outside and The picture is of a toddler with yellow paint just kind of dripping down through his hair and all over his, he'd tried to clean it up and I think he'd even tried to hide the evidence and so there was paint everywhere. I'm not good as a dad in those moments. I freak out in those moments. Dawn is so good in those moments and she recognizes that moments matter. And then we we celebrate that picture even in the past, even in the future as we look backwards at that because, oh my goodness, there were some good things going on in that moment. Moms, live in the moment. Some of the best memories you'll share on that rocking chair are the messy ones, the impromptu ones, the embarrassing for your kids ones. Moms, live in the moment. Soak in the memories. Leave a legacy of Jesus-oriented memories for your kids, for your grandkids. Treasure them so that you can ponder them later. How about this one? Leave a legacy of lessons. I look at this and I am reminded that my mom, oh my goodness, did she teach me a lot. My mom was a third grade teacher when I was born. She came home to be a stay-at-home mom, but she never really left the profession of teaching. That apostrophe, guess who taught me how to fix that? She probably lovingly and even gently pointed it out to me a week or two after I gave this to her. I don't know that to be true, but I bet she might have. There's a a project I remember like when I was in fourth or fifth grade. Do you know what a a homophone is? I had to look up what you call these. This would be like two, two, and two. They sound the same, homophones. So the the, 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 like homework assignment was come up with as big of a list as you can come up with of homophones. This is before you could Google things. And um, 
So my mom said, challenge accepted. And this, for the next week or two, this became every dinner time conversation, every just hanging around the house, doing dishes, whatever. We kept a list going. And there was a prize for this. Whoever came up with the most got a candy bar, I think, maybe. And the day, I remember the moment we were supposed to turn those assignments in. Everybody else kind of brought their paper up. And proudly, I walked up to the front and slammed down the stack that my mom and I had come up together with. We had a whole bunch of them. I got that candy bar. That was all about my mom, right? Lessons that she taught me. Moms leave a legacy of lessons. Some of my best memories as a child aren't those projects that I was just describing. But at dinner time, after the dishes are done, after bath time, we would read Bible story books together. I remember my place was to lay on the back of the sofa and I'd look over mom's shoulder and my little brother and my little sister would sit there. I already knew how to read, but listen, to this day, when I hear the story or I read the story of David and Goliath, guess whose voice is narrating that story in my mind? Mama's. Leave a legacy of lessons. The Bible talks about this. Proverbs chapter 22 puts it this way. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8 says it this way. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. They're a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. I read an article this past week by the Gospel Coalition. It talked about the five most important lessons that you can leave your kids. If you're a Christian parent, lean into these. Here's one they said. Challenge them first and foremost simply to love God. As I read these, perhaps you want to do a little bit of a self-audit. How are we doing in that area? Do your kids right now, do they love God above all? Or have they learned, kind of absorbed by us most or, uh, from you, did, 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 have they learned that, uh, you know, your career is a big deal. We love that. We love our hobbies. We love our vacations. No, first and foremost, we love God. Everything falls in line behind that. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love God, first and foremost. How about number two? Put others before yourself. How are we doing in that area? Are your kids absorbing this life truth? Are you teaching it through lessons to them? Mark chapter 12, verse 31 says, The second command is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Put others before yourself. How about number three, tell the truth. Can you imagine what our world might look like, how different it would be if we all absorbed this and lived by that? Above all, tell the truth. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Are you setting your kids free by teaching them that lesson? How about number four, do the right thing? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 18, At the edge of the promised land, before they go into the space that God's given them, God gave them this instruction, Do what is right, and do what is good in the Lord's sight that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors. Do the right thing. And then maybe do the next right thing. And then do the next right thing. You can build a life on that. How about number five? Seek wisdom. This is the best question to ask. What is the wise thing to do? Are you teaching your kids to seek wisdom? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 5 says, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. 
Wisdom's a big deal. Here's the challenge. Be intentional. Don't just adopt this list. Rather, make it your own. Or maybe you want to create your own. But here's the deal. Be intentional. Make sure you're teaching lessons, life lessons. So much more is caught than taught. I was just talking with one of our staff members this past week. We both have specific memories of our parents sitting at the dinner table before Sunday morning worship and writing their tithe check, a gift to God. And sometimes we get the opportunity to drop that check into the plate when it came past. Oh my goodness. Last week we talked about financial uh, matters and how to build that legacy of faith. I'll tell you what, those early memories that I'm referring right now have set me up well as an adult to live by those biblical principles of finance that God gives. And this other staff member and I, we were having this conversation, and we were both so grateful for that foundation of life lessons that our parents gave us. By the way, if you have not yet signed up for Financial Peace University, do that today. You can do it online on our website, or you can do it if you're in the space right out here in the, uh, out here in the lobby on your way out. Please sign up for that. By the way, Family Matters is a, uh, this is a church family thing as well. We live in families, but oh my goodness, we are a church family. Those kids that were just up here on the platform, I hope you took that charge seriously. We all stood up together. I hope you weren't lying before God in that moment. We take that seriously that we're called to invest in them. And those, uh, there's a whole bunch of them that are going to be dedicated at the 11 o'clock hour as well. We want to pray for them. We want to train them up in the way they should go. And as a faith community, we're responsible for that as well. We have a responsibility. One of our staff members put up a post on social media this past week. I asked Shaylee Redman for her permission to share this. It's a picture of some cute middle school uh, girls and uh, fun that they've had together over the last year. And she's celebrating. She moved to Indiana and how good this has been for her. And she hopes it's been good for them. I'm paraphrasing what she says. And then I love what she says at the bottom. Also, shameless plug, get involved in your local church. Use your gifts, your interests, your talents, uh, and graphic design, blog writing, saying hi, whatever, to bless the Lord. Leading a group of, of your own, there's always a place for you. I love that. We're called, all of us, to lead in this area as we think about generations. Okay, how about this one? Leave a legacy of passion. I look at this plate and I recognize that even early on, this is a self-portrait and I've put myself square in the middle of things that I'm passionate about. I loved the outdoors. Oh my goodness, did I have an idyllic childhood. We had about an acre behind the house I grew up in in southern Illinois and uh, dad mowed like paths all through that and there were ropes to swing on, and I built tree houses all through that. I remember spending time with my mom out in the garden. I spent time as a child. In the summertime, I rarely had a shirt on, but if I did, it was like a tank top, and I was just like running wild out there. I think my mom recognized that this is a passion for me, and it still is to this day. I just love to be outside. She fueled my passions. I had an aunt the time period that mom was really sick. Sometimes I'd go over and spend a week, maybe two, three weeks at a time with my Aunt Emmeline in northern Missouri. She's still alive today, and oh my goodness, she reminds me of my mom in a bunch of ways. They look similar too. 
my animal and recognized this passion in me as well. And oh, great white hunter that I was as like a fourth grader or a fifth grader, she'd send me out with a BB gun. They lived on a farm and she'd say, here are the birds I want you to shoot, the ones that are like pesky in the barn. And if you bring those back, she'd give me a five-gallon bucket as well. And she'd say, fill it up, and I'll give you a nickel or a quarter for each one. Now, if you shoot a songbird, and there was a whole list of birds that were off the list, she'd say, I'll dock you a quarter for each one of those you shoot. But she was fueling some of my passions, right? Send me out. What passions are you fueling in your kids' lives? I love this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. says, For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and holds us tightly because we're convinced that he has given his life for all of us. I think that's true. But there's a domino effect here, right? Mamas, you set those dominoes in uh, your lives up, uh, your kids' lives up as well. You show them Christ's love that fuels their passion. I love this quote. This is one that we probably could applaud to. Mother is the name for God on the lips and hearts of little children. When your kids are little, mamas, you step into a God-sized space. Treat that responsibility very well as you think about fueling their passion. How about this one? Number four, leave a legacy of identity. I look at this picture right here. I drew myself, and I don't know if you can see from where you're sitting, but oh my goodness, uh, that hair. I never knew how to draw my hair. This is why. I have curly hair. And as a kid, this would have been coming straight out of the 70s, and the afro was a thing. My mom didn't know how to do my hair. We brushed it up way too much. And in second grade, I was showing up to school just looking like a goober. And I remember one time specifically, I was like I had a, a big afro. And I remember sitting in on the bleachers, and I, I, there's a group of high school kids behind me making fun of my hair. At least I think they were making fun of me. I don't know. I wasn't, you know, I couldn't really read the moment well. But I remember coming home to mom and talking about that and speaking of identity. I don't know what she said in that moment. But I do know that I felt secure. I felt love. And I can lean on other moments where I know she was going after teaching me that my identity, ah, that I'm God's child. As you think about your kids and their self-esteem, their self-worth, their self-identity, remember that those kids that God has entrusted you with, they're yours, but they're really God's. These are God's children are you rooting that identity deeply in your kids? Listen, their identity is not about who they are. Their identity is about whose they are. They're God's children. First John chapter 2, it calls it out this way. He's writing to adults at this point saying, Now, dear children, God's children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Your identity is not yours. Your kid's identity is not yours. They're his. Their identity is not about who they are. Their identity is found in whose they are. That passage goes on and says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We're still becoming 
but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Their identity is not about who they are. Their identity is about whose they are. Mamas, leave a legacy. Leave a legacy of memories, of lessons, of passion, of identity. And number five, leave a legacy of faith. Leave a legacy of faith. I don't know if you noticed the date. 1982. Ten years later. Ten years later is when my mom passed away. So between this moment and that moment... There was a lot of space for a legacy of faith to be left behind. I remember driving my mom. She wanted to give a legacy gift to her kids. She knew it was terminal at this point. I didn't even have my license yet. We were driving to the local Christian bookstore, and I was driving. She was the licensed driver. I maybe had my permit. But we got there, and I helped her pick out one of these, actually two Bibles, one to get at eighth grade graduation and one to get at high school graduation for me and my three siblings. And she was in a lot of pain at that point, and I remember helping her prop herself up in her bed. And she wrote this endorsement. I opened this Bible after I graduated from high school. She had already passed away. Oh, this is a life lesson. There's a photo of it here. Dear Stan, please remember that sin will, help, will keep you from this Bible. But this Bible will keep you from sin. Love, Mom. And then maybe you see she wrote written in pain. Leave a legacy of faith. There's eight ways that we leave a legacy of faith. Maybe you want to write, actually pick one of these this week. Go after one of these. Proverbs 31 mentor, this organization wrote these. I thought these were good and I want to share them with you. Here you go. Number one, spend time with God in Bible study daily. Maybe take my mom's advice, super serious there. Number two, pray without ceasing. Are you doing that in your home? Number three, weave the gospel in every aspect of your home and your family life. How about number four, read the Bible as a family. Number five, practice what you preach. Maybe number six, ask forgiveness. Number seven, give generously. Number eight, moms, don't forget to take care of yourself. Moms, leave a legacy. Leave a legacy of memories, of lessons, of passion, identity, and faith. Remember that quote we looked at, Mother is the name for God on the lips and hearts of little children. Which makes this next thing a hard transition for me to turn. I don't know if you know this, but Special days like this are tough for pastors, preachers, and for worship leaders because our job is to lead you to Jesus. I bet right now you're thinking about your mom or maybe you're thinking about your spouse or I don't know, maybe, maybe you're thinking about my mom. But here's the thing. This really has always been, and if you're a Jesus follower, it always should be about Jesus because here's the deal. Moms, we love you but we love Jesus more. And there'll be time this afternoon to pamper you. I told you about the hand that rocks the cradle, is the hand that rules the world. I want to show you the third stanza of that beautiful poem. 
That poem doesn't mean what you think it means. It says, women, how divine your mission here upon our natal sod. Keep, oh, keep the young heart open always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother's love impearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Moms, you have an incredible opportunity to leave a powerful legacy. And it's not really about you. It's about Jesus. Would you stand up with me right now? We're going to turn our attention toward him. We're going to continue in our worship. And we're going to put our focus, our adoration on him, on Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, as we sing now, as we celebrate now, as we sing to you our hearts, Lord, receive our worship. It's an act of worship. We love you as your kids. We adore you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.